Amen. We have to get used to that. Right, Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. And verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. I want to speak this morning on the priority of presence, or to be more specific, the priority of his presence. I didn't talk to my wife beforehand, but when she gave a prophetic word about the presence of God, I thought, wow, she must have been reading my notes, but then she can't see to read, so that's impossible. So, wow, this is amazing. God has been preparing the way, and some of the songs we've been singing have been already focusing on this theme we have this morning, the priority of his presence, that, that visible, tangible, at times audible, manifest presence of God. Now, some would say, oh, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, so that's that. Yes, he's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. That means all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-seeing. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. Yes, he's all those things. But there's that sense also where not only is God all-present, omnipresent, but he manifests his presence. And when we come together as God's people, we should have an expectation of his manifest presence, an almost tangible presence. You feel it, you almost see it, it's, and you hear the sense of God in the atmosphere. Wow, we need his presence. His presence. His presence. You know, the last time I was with you, we shared a message on the subject of tabernacle praying. We looked at the tabernacle in the wilderness. You know, when God brought his people up out of Egypt, he longed to have a place where he could meet with them. He's holy, the people are sinful, but a place of mediation where God can meet with them is called the tabernacle. And um, just to remind you of it very quickly, you know, you've got the outer enclosure, one gate in, and the brazen altar as a place they brought their sacrifice, animal sacrifice back in the Old Testament. Then beyond that, the laver, the place where the priests washed themselves from head to toe before they could go into the presence of God. Then they enter the tent structure proper, the tabernacle proper. And first of all, there's a holy place. There's the golden altar, the table of showbread, the altar of incense. And then a veil. And only once a year could the high priest go beyond the veil, and even then with blood and, and with lots of preparation, into the holiest of all where the Ark of the Covenant was, which was a, a box with a gold lid, that, but it represented the presence of God. And that's where God's presence would come, as you see in that picture, where the glory and at nighttime, the fire of God would be seen coming upon that place that tabernacle in the wilderness. And, uh, and then God would meet with his people. God would meet with his people. Thank God that we're now in the New Testament. Thank God we don't have to do animal sacrifice. 
Thank God we don't have to do all those things. We don't have to sort of come in fear and trembling. And Will I be accepted or not accepted? You know, the priest had bells and things on his garments so that the people could hear that he was still alive. Otherwise, they'd pull him out with a rope because, wow, you know, will he make it? Is it being accepted? Thank God, through Jesus, we have an access to the very throne room of heaven now. The veil has been rent in two. We can come anytime through the blood of Jesus Christ, who once, for all time, for all people, gave himself upon the cross. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad of that this morning? We can come. We have this freedom to come into God's holy presence. But not only that, and this is the point this morning, not only that, but, but God's presence comes to us. Look at the day of Pentecost. There's a rushing sound of a mighty wind. There were tongues of fire came upon each of them. And they were just enclosed and enveloped with the Holy Spirit. So much so they began to speak with new languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wow, the, the audible, visible, tangible, manifold, manifest presence of God came upon them and filled them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Godhead. Hallelujah. Yeah, the New Testament teaches us that if every one of us now become temples of the Holy Spirit. You know, you look up 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, for example. It says there that we are the temples of the living God. And God dwells in us. It goes on in chapter 7 of that, of that uh, epistle. Then we ought to cleanse ourselves because God's coming to reside in us. But God comes. And just as in that picture shows his manifold presence, manifest presence came into the tabernacle. So God wants to come into now these, these, our lives, our bodies, these temples of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And not only that, the Bible goes on in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 through to 26. It talks to us there. It says, the church, when we all gather together, as a group of people, as a body of people, that there God's presence comes. It says the church is the temple of the living God. Wow. God's presence comes. God's presence. We should have an expectation whenever we meet together, as we worship, and as we pray, and as we pray, that God's presence comes. God's presence comes. Because this is what sets us apart. Hallelujah. You know, as Pastor, as Pastor Paul, as Elder Paul, Luke's pastor. No, all right. As Paul said, as Paul said, we've just had the, uh, we, our church, this church belongs to a grouping of churches called Assemblies of God and a Bible-believing group of churches, believing the power of the Holy Spirit and so on. We had a conference up in Harrogate this last week. And, you know, when you go to a conference, if, if you're a pastor leader going to a conference, you think, oh, God, it'd be great for you to speak to me, God, to reveal something powerful to me, and, and so on. And I went with that expectation. We couldn't go last year. We were looking after our granddaughter so that our son and son-in-law and daughter could go. And um, so we were looking forward to it very much this year. We, we went with that expectation. You know, and, and wow, God spoke very powerfully to me. I, I had asked him to speak to me, but I just didn't know quite how it was going to happen and thought maybe it's going to be through one of the, the main speakers in one of the sort of perhaps evening big celebration. But it was in 
not those kind of meetings. God spoke in a very, very powerful way. I'm not going to go into that now, just now, but one of the things that Assemblies of God are doing, you know, they've got church planting departments set up now. They've got a youth leader, national youth leader now set up and this kind of thing. But one of the other areas they've got set up, which is absolutely amazing and great, is a whole prayer area. They recognize that, wow, there needs to be those who promote and encourage prayer within the movement of Assemblies of God. They've got a couple called Martin and Esther Story, who lead a church in Coventry, who are now heading up that area of, the, of that work in our fellowship. I mention that because it was great. One of the sort of um, sessions, the seminar-type sessions, the breakout sessions, it wasn't the main session, they, they, they were being interviewed. So I want to go and find out a bit more about this couple. This is going to be very, very exciting. And this couple, they, they, as I said, lead the church in Coventry. They've been there 12 years. When they went to church, it was about 350. It's now touching 2,000. So just see, think, well, that's exciting. But when they went there, they'd been, he'd been an associate pastor in Nottingham and uh, been used by God there. And, and then he and his wife come to the church in Coventry, yeah, 350, new building, about a 1.8 million pounds mortgage. When they got there, several things. One, they said, if normal church temperature, the sense of God's presence, if you like thinking of room temperature, would be 21, 22. Then they said the temperature, spiritual temperature of the church was about eight or nine. So things are not good. They said the church was just going through the motion of things. Sunday evenings was just a quiz night. And they said it wasn't what, that wasn't their way of doing church. And then, to add to that, this 1.8 million mortgage wasn't getting paid. So the bank was threatening to foreclose on their mortgage. So they could lose the building. And that was this, this young couple, this young family going to this church in that predicament. And you think, wow, what do you do? But they believed in the power of prayer and fasting. They believed very much part of their culture, church culture, is that, wow, we must, we must know God's manifest presence in our gatherings together. And so they gave themselves to prayer and fasting, seeking the face of God to begin to change around this church. They began to make prayer the main item on the agenda of the church. They said even now when they set their, their, their plan for the year, prayer is the priority thing. 21 days of prayer and fasting to begin the year. Then prayer events, prayer events, prayer, prayer, prayer in the weekly. Prayer is the, the main thing. And so they began to pray and fast. And the bank manager got ill. And their particular case for foreclosure was neglected for the time being. So they're saying, thank you, Jesus, because that gave them time. And they just prayed, and God began to move. And soon that mortgage was getting repaid. Soon, in fact, it's all cleared now. They haven't got a mortgage now. Wow, that's pretty good. You know, 1.8 million is not a small change. And that's all cleared. And they began to just then, in the church, 
the, the worship sessions, the times that we've had this morning, the leaders who led would perhaps just sing just a set number of songs, one just after another with no flow. They said we had to teach the, the, the worship team how to flow. If we felt God was moving on a song, we would have to, he, he was musical himself, but he would sit near the front and say, come on, stay in that song, stay in that song, stay in that song. Move in the anointing of the song. Let the anointing flow. If you just have one song for the whole meeting, it doesn't matter. If God's moving, and you've got to teach them and teach them and teach them. And, and, and then when one of those singers began to sing a bit prophetically, she can't encourage you, keep singing prophetically. Don't be ashamed of that. Sing out, begin to praise God. Wow. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Where I'm meeting this morning and God's moving. And then the Holy Ghost comes on grace and she starts prophesying in the Spirit and singing songs in the Spirit as God gives her the melody. Wow, wouldn't that be amazing? Do you think that would cause a little bit of excitement in the church? And wow, we'd all just say, yes, Jesus. See, that's the difference it makes. When God begins to move and God's presence comes. And so as I say, that church now has gone from 350 to 2,000. Wow. And just watching them, they led the, you know, we had to get up about quarter to six every morning. And when you're going to bed quite late because the meetings don't finish so early, but we just had to be in the prayer meeting. They were leading. You know, and sharing with our eyesight difficulty. It's not easy, but we wish we were there. Because God is moving. And it's good to watch them in action and see, wow, how do these people do things? And so praise the Lord. God's presence is everything. If we forget everything else I say, and I did have another message ready for this morning. Because I thought, oh, I'm going to be at conference. I'll get something out of this. the pastor's deep freeze and we'll put it in the microwave and bring it to. So as soon as Charles got back to Buckingham Palace and the troops had said, hooray, I had to get down and start getting on to the message. Because, wow, God's presence is a priority. It is a priority. And I encourage you. Because we're not just talking about, for that moment I've been talking about the meeting, but it's priority in our lives. In your daily devotion, your daily life, God's priority. In my life, it's, it's a priority. Don't be just content just to have a nice little Bible reading, say a little prayer that might be in your little um, daily devotion book and think, okay, I've done my thing, that's it. No, don't be content until you've met with God, until you've felt God's manifest presence, tangible presence, until you've felt there. Put on some worship songs. If one of them helps you more than another, then play it over and over until you're in God's presence. Just Get into God's presence. When I taught you last time on tabernacle praying, it was to bring us into God's presence. You know, I find in my own prayer life now, I've been using that more and more. It was a new thing to start using this year. But as I use it, I find I have to work. If I've got other things to get to, I have to make occasionally glance at my watch because time just flies by. As I move through each of those stages that I enter the presence of God. Oh, the priority of his presence. Make it a priority in your life. Not just to seek his face, that's great, but to get that place where you feel and know and experience his presence. His presence. The priority of his presence. Three things I just say about his presence. Number one, his presence gives us 
identity. You know, when the children of Israel were traveling through the wilderness, about to enter the present, the, the promised land, it was the presence of God that gave them their identity. Next is chapter 33 and verse 16. In the New Living Translation, I use the New King James Translation, but on this verse, Pastor Luke's got a good version. He uses the New Living Translation. It says this, For your presence among us sets your people and me, that's Moses, apart from all the people of the earth. What gave them identity? The presence of God among us set us apart. Wow. How do we know that? Well, you read the story of when they get the promised land and the spies go into Jericho to have a look at what's going on. And they're in the house of Rahab. And Rahab says to them, look, we know that God is among you. We know that God is with you. You can read about it in Joshua, the book of Joshua and uh, chapter 2, verse 9 to 11. We know that God is among you. God is with you. We know about the things that God has done for you. We know the story of Rahab, that she herself put a trust in the God of Israel, turned her back upon the Canaanite pagan, fertile, fertility-type gods and all that stuff that she'd been involved with before. She turns her back on that. Says, I'm putting my trust in the God of Israel. And that's why she becomes one of the great women of faith of the Bible. But what she testified to was that she recognized they were the people of God because the presence of God was among them. The presence of God gave them their identity. And that's true of us too. It should be the presence of God gives us our identity. If not, we're just religious. If not, we're just going through the motions. But it's the presence of God that gives us our identity. Let's just see that in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. You know, many of us, someone said, oh, what, what religion are you? You'd reply almost... Immediately, I hope, and say, oh, I'm a Christian. Is that right? Well, let's see where that word came from. Acts 11, verse 19 through to 21. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. Oh, that's the tangible, the manifest presence of God. The hand of God. If somebody puts, if I went over to Jeremy, put my hand on him, he'd, you know, I put my hand on him, boom. He'd know, he'd feel it. Ooh, feel that. The hand of God was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Wow. Go to verse 26. Second half of the verse. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. 
the disciples were first called Christians. They were called people of the way before that. They were called Nazarenes or anything, but this is the first time they're called Christians. Now we need to know the word Christ means the anointed one. Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed one, the Messiah. We know how he's anointed when he was baptized by John the Baptist and the Spirit of God came upon him in the form of a dove and, and he was anointed. He says in the synagogue in Nazareth, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me. Preach good news to the poor. Ah, oh, an anointing. Anointing. So the word Christ means the anointed one. <laughs> and the word Christian is based upon that. We are the anointed ones, or the, not many, that would make it too small, but we are the anointed ones, many anointed ones. We're the Christians, anointed. The word Christ is the anointed ones. Wow. And the thing at Antioch was these people, the hand of God was upon them. And they were not only sharing the good news and so on, but they, they, um, they prayed for the sick. You can imagine, the Bible says, these signs will follow those who believe. The blind eyes were opened, the, the, the deaf ears could hear, and the lame walked, and miracles were occurring, and God was moving. They saw the anointing upon them, the, the way they loved and cared and ministered the poor and the needy and the homeless, the broken, whatever it was, the anointing was upon them. And it was the people of Antioch, the, the non-believing community of Antioch, who said about these people, they said, these are Christians. They gave them a nickname. Said they're anointed. <coughs> because the, they gave them that nickname because the Holy Spirit anointing gave them their identity. Wow, I wonder if that could be said of us. Remember someone asking the question once, if you're being arrested for being a Christian, would they find enough evidence to convict you based upon New Testament understanding of what a Christian is? You know, we need to be anointed ones. Anointed ones. That gives us our identity. And we get that anointing by coming and being filled with the Holy Spirit. We get that anointing by coming into God's presence in worship and praise. By drawing upon Him, being filled and refilled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine when it's excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be continually filled is the verb. And how to do that? By singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, the anointing sets us apart. The anointing gives us identity. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you should see power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We see on the day of Pentecost, Peter, that fear-filled man, becomes a fire-filled preacher he shares the good news without fear to the crowds. In Acts 2, it's Peter and John who are on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer. And they see a lame man who's begging. He'd been doing that for 38 years. And he asks for them. You know, as he probably, oh, give me something, give me something. Please, please, money, please. 
Peter with John turned to him and said, Silver and gold we do not have, but such as we have give we unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And they took him by the hand and lifted him up. And then he goes jumping and leaping and into the house of God, into the temple with them. Wow, such as we have. Wow, they knew they had the presence. They knew they had the anointing. They, 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 they just could respond. Oh, I said, God, I want to be in that place where I can respond in that way, such as I have. I give unto you. Wow, people need to know that we are Christian believers. It comes to mind that time many years ago, I was invited to take part in a Songs of Praise program in Cross Keys. I was still working as a GP in Risk at the time, and I was pastoring in church in Patlan Frith. I was asked to take part. And you know how that program goes. You, 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 you choose a song or a hymn, and, and then the interviewer talks to you about it, and you explain why you chose it, and so on. And I chose a hymn. It was not necessarily my favorite, but I chose it because of its message. It says, I've forgotten what it was now. My Jesus, my Savior, I know thou art mine. For thee all the pleasures of sin I would resign. And it goes along like that. And, and then the interviewer was a Christian. And it was good that he was a Christian because I was a good rapper. As we spoke to camera and he asked me about it. I said, yeah, Jesus is mine. He's my Savior. Da, da, da. And, you know, that went out. Went out all over to the whole of UK on the Sunday in midweek, and then later went all of Wales, and then again repeated midweek. But on the basis of that testimony, a lady in Hastings, who's not a Christian, saw me in that camera piece giving that testimony, and she got down on her knees by a sofa, and she said, God, I want what the doctor's got. That's not a normal sinner's prayer, by the way. But she, I believe the Lord heard her because she saw something. As I shared something, the Holy Spirit was so much part of that. She recognized that and wanted what she saw in me as I shared that testimony. Wow, may we carry that anointing. May we have that identity. Hallelujah. Ah, oh, the priority of His presence. Don't be content just to go through the motions of Christianity. Don't be content just to go through the motions, whether it's new daily readings or just emotions of coming to church. Oh, come expectant, come with praise, come just longing for God, desiring God. As we hunger for Him, He will come and fill us and anoint us and move upon us. Hallelujah. You know, in the early church, they recognized this was so important that when they heard that people had given their lives to Jesus in Acts 8, Soon the apostles went down and prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 9, Saul of Tarsus is saved on Damascus Road. A man called Ananias, a very brave man, is told to, to go and pray for him that he might receive his sight and receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 10, the apostle Peter is at, is at the household of Cornelius. It's the first move towards the Gentiles. And he's a bit reluctant, but God shows him he must go. He goes as he's preaching. The Holy Spirit falls on the household of Cornelius. There's that Roman centurion in his household. And they get filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. In Acts 19, the Apostle Paul gets to Ephesus. He says, 
to the people there. Have you, are you believers? Yeah. Have you received the Holy Spirit? No. Well, you need to receive the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. We need the presence. We need the anointing, the priority of his presence. It is key. It is key in our individual lives. It's key in our times together in church. For what will set this church apart and does set this church apart from other, unfortunately from other churches maybe, but it will be because there's a presence of God. People will come in and say, yeah, there's something about that place. There's something in that room. There's something when those people meet together. It, you can't describe it. You can't put, this is, would be the unbelievers speaking. We can't put it in words, but, but there's something there. Yeah, I want to go back there. Yeah, there's something there. I feel peace there. I feel it's, it's right to be there. It's, it's good. There's a sense that, yeah, anything could happen. God is there. Wow, isn't that how we want us to talk about us? Yes, the priority of his presence. Hallelujah. Yes, that's first thing. Second thing. The presence not only gave them identity, the presence led them. In our reading at the very beginning in Exodus, it says that there's a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. The presence led them. They traveled through the wilderness. If the presence was there, they'd settle, put up their tents. But if God's presence began to move, then it was time to unpack camp. They would follow. They wouldn't go without God's presence. Wherever God's presence went, they went. In fact, in that reading I did as well from Exodus 33, Moses, this is after the golden calf business, Moses said, God, don't take away your presence because we can't do it without your presence. We must have your presence. Hallelujah. God's presence. The Holy Spirit. He leads us. He leads us. He leads us. Romans 8. And verse 1, Romans 8 and verse 1 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Wow! We are people who are led by the Spirit, who are guided by the Spirit. You know, it might be inner promptings. It might be God just shows us something as we read the Scriptures, comes alive and tells us something. Just whatever way it is, just that peace of God it says in Philippians 4, it umpires our heart. It tells us what to do. Oh, we might listen to that. You know, when I taught you about tabernacle praying last time, we, yes, we come through the gates with thanksgiving, come before the prayer, we come before the cross and thank Jesus for saving us and go through things there. We come then to the labor, a place of self-examination. And I said, we begin from our head and work down. And this fits in with, with following his leading. First of all, I say, Lord, renew my mind. That my thoughts might be your thoughts. Lord God, touch my eyes. Touch them with eyes so that I might see as you see. 
Lord, unblock my ears. There's so many voices, but unblock them from those voices that might hear your voice. My mouth, oh God, let it speak words of bless and affirm and encourage and edify. And then I get to my heart and say, God, let my heart create me a clean heart. No, God, let my heart be moved with love and compassion to beat with the heartbeat of God. You know, all of these things. My hands, my hands might reach out to, to bless and to minister, to love and to encourage and to give. My feet might be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace that I might be ready to share the good news of Jesus wherever I go. You get the idea that all, a lot of these things are talking about leading and prompting. And if you build that into your daily praying and pray that through, then the Holy Spirit, because when we get into the tabernacle, we come before the golden lampstand, we find that the Holy Spirit says, Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, come upon me with wisdom and understanding, with counsel and might, with knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Come upon me. It's all guidance. Table of the showbread. Lord, your word. Guide me through your word. We need to be a people who are led. Led by the Spirit. Listening out for the Spirit. You know, back to the conference we were at. So, first session we were in. It was a, more of a prayer session. And a guy called Sudith Alex was just speaking just briefly because it's not long preached because it was a prayer session. But he talked about Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. When the angel showed up to Zechariah, who was ministering in the temple, and said, you and your wife are going to have a child. Zechariah, if you know the story, said, no way, Lord, we're too old. We're past it. You know, can you imagine telling the angel of God? But he did. And so the angel said, you're going to be mute now because it's going to happen. Elizabeth's going to break. Everyone joked about Elizabeth being barren. Well, she's going to give birth. And so he ministered along that line. And, and I, and he's saying, look, some of you are saying you're too old. And I thought, Lord, I begin to think that. But he said, you're not too old. i got work for you to do. got things for you to do. And so God is beginning to speak to me. Move upon me. Wow. That word was coming alive to me. And then that was reinforced in other ways. You know, the dry bones shall live and all this kind of thing. That was in other sessions. And then a guy that I hadn't seen for years from Scotland, don't even know his name. Try to remember his name. I can't. But he came up to me again in one of the breakout sessions. He happened to walk in. And he says, yeah, you're Rob Baldwin. Yes, that's me. And he says, I was praying and I saw you and God's given me a word for you. I thought, wow, this doesn't happen to me very often. And he says, look, I saw this picture of a water guttering and drain pipe. I thought, that's funny because just two days ago, I cleared out the drain pipe at home. And, and, and he says, there's been a blockage, but God wants water to flow through you. He's not finished with you. You've got things to do. I thought, wow, God, you're on my case. 
you know, and hunger for God, all kinds of things just kept reinforcing these things. You see, God speaks. God leads us. God leads us. And God wants to lead you by inner prompting, you know, to pray for people, to minister to people, to speak to people about Jesus, to give. Maybe as you're going on, God says, pray for this person right now. They need your prayers right now. We need to be obedient and responsive to the promptings. God leads us. Hallelujah. And then finally, yes, his presence gives us identity. His presence leads us. His presence protects us. You know, when those people came up out of Egypt, the presence led them. They thought, this is it, we're out, great. Then before them, they found the Red Sea, either side of mountains, and then Pharaoh's army, he had a change of heart. And he's coming for them. And they thought, this is it. We're going to die in the wilderness right now. But God's presence protected them. He says that God came like a barrier, like a cloud. He kept the armies of Egypt away from the Israelites all night. And then that night, God's wind blew and the Red Sea parted. And the children of Israel go through dry shot. And then when they've gone through, Pharaoh's armies try to follow. And the waters come back and they're all drowned. But the people of God are through. They've been protected. They've been protected. I want you to know that God is our protector. God is our protector. Whatever we go through, Psalm 23 says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's pretty scary, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. The thought here is of a shepherd. The sheep are a bit nervous. Oh, look at these steep sides. Oh, and a bit scared about some lions and other wild animals out there, wolves. But then they feel the rod of the shepherd. Come on, come on, sheep. You're okay. Leading them through. Well, we've got not just an ordinary shepherd. We've got the great shepherd. We've got the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd. He's with us. He takes us through. One of the names of God I love is Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah means, I am the Lord who is with you. When we carry his presence, we can know his presence. Think, okay, I'm going to go through things. I might go through an operation. I might go through some difficulty, some challenging times. Whatever I go through, Lord, you're with me. You are my protector. Hallelujah. Oh, we haven't time, but I can show you testimony after testimony of God's protection. In my life, in Sharon's life, we could share with you, God is our protector. Oh, we need his presence. Oh, this morning, I could have preached you on something else, but I preached you on what God I felt laid on my heart to bring the priority of his presence. Make it a priority in your life, in our church, to the glory of God. Let's pray.